When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. This is Jay Abraham here to talk about Claude Hopkins' 1923 classic scientific advertising. And you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where every Friday I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book. This show has been named as one of the top marketing podcasts by Forbes and LinkedIn, amongst others, and has millions of downloads and listeners in over 185 countries. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since I get to read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, connect and message me on LinkedIn, and I will do my best to get you you pointed in the right direction. All right, let's get on with the show. Today, we welcome back Jay Abraham for a very special conversation to talk about Claude Hopkins' 1923 classic, Scientific Advertising. Now, I'm going to tell you about Claude Hopkins in a moment, but let me properly introduce Jay Abraham. As the founder and CEO of the Los Angeles-based Abraham Group, Jay has spent his entire career solving complex problems and fixing underperforming businesses. He has significantly increased the bottom lines of over 10,000 clients in more than 1,000 industries. Jay's books include Getting Everything You Can Out of All You've Got, 21 Ways You Can Outthink, Outperform, and Outearn the Competition, and The Sticking Point Solution, Nine Ways to Move Your Business from Stagnation to Stunning Growth, which was featured on episode 299 of the Marketing Book Podcast in 2020. This will be episode 468. Jay's most recent book is Business Wealth Without Risk, How to Create a Lifetime of Income and Wealth Every Three to Five Years, co-authored with Roland Frazier. And interesting fact, Jay has the same birthday as Elvis Presley. Uh Jay, welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you, Doug. What a pleasure. So, Jay, an honor to have you back. This will be the very last episode of the year 2023, and I could think of no uh, more exciting way than to talk to you and to talk to you about a book that came out 100 years ago. Now, the backstory is that I was recently interviewing Perna Vergi, about her new book, High Impact Content Marketing. And she, like some authors, lamented that too many marketers think that they invented marketing. <laughs> and she's, she, in her book, she recommends that people read some of the classics because they still hold. And one of them that she recommends, of course, is Claude Hopkins' 1923 book, Scientific Advertising. And also, one of the two books that have had the biggest impact on my career uh, was uh, Ogilvy on Advertising, which he published in 1983 and which prompted me to go into advertising after I got out of the Army. And so I'm not the first person to want to be recommending this book. So unfortunately, Claude Hopkins was not available for this interview, Jay. 
for the listeners who are not as familiar with Claude Hopkins. He was born, I guess, one year after the American Civil War, 1866, and then he passed away in 1932. But when one goes to Wikipedia and looks up Claude Hopkins' scientific advertising, it says, and I quote, Scientific advertising is a book written by Claude C. Hopkins in 1923 and is cited by many advertising and marketing personalities, such as David Ogilvy, Gary Halbert, and Jay Abraham, as a must-read book. So what I wanted to do, just to give a little more context for the listener, is quote from David Ogilvy's book, Ogilvy on Advertising. It came out in the 1980s. And there's a chapter, which is chapter 18, titled Lasker, Reeser, Rubicam, Burnett, Hopkins, and Bernbach. And I just want to read a couple paragraphs from what he, where he talked about Claude Hopkins. And so I guess I would, I would ideally, the, I would be reading this with a, a, a British accent or a Scottish accent. But uh, David Ogilvy wrote at the beginning of the Claude Hopkins sections, by exercising the pseudo-literary pretensions endemic in British copywriters of my vintage and concentrating my thoughts on the obligation of advertising to sell, Claude Hopkins' book, Scientific Advertising, changed the course of my life. At 17, Hopkins was a lay preacher, but he rebelled against his family's hard-shell Baptist brand of religion and got a job as a bookkeeper. Not long afterwards, he joined the Bissell Carpet Sweeper Company, invented selling strategies, which gave Bissell a virtual monopoly. Then to Swift, his advertising manager, followed by Dr. Shoup's patent medicine company, where he persuaded his agency to let him write the copy, not only for Dr. Shoup's, but for Montgomery Ward and Schlitz Beer as well. When he was 41... He was hired by Albert Lasker to write copy for Lord and Thomas. And I should add that that's the a predecessor of the Footcone Belding Agency. Lasker paid him $185,000 a year. He writes equivalent to $2 million in today's money, but actually it's equivalent to about $6 million now. He stayed at Lord & Thomas for 18 years. Hopkins was a prodigiously hard worker, seldom leaving his office before the early hours of the morning. Sunday was his favorite day because he could work without interruption. From his typewriter came campaigns which made many products famous, including Pepsodent, Palmolive, and six different cars. He invented ways to force distribution for new products. He invented test marketing. He invented sampling by coupon. He invented copy research. He held that nobody with a college education should be allowed to write copy for the mass market. Yikes! Now, I just wanted to quote briefly from the very beginning of Claude Hopkins' book, and then We'll get into it. So this is in the first chapter. And the book's only about 100 pages, 21 short chapters. This is the very beginning. He says, how advertising laws are established. The time has come when advertising has in some hands reached the status of a science. It is based on fixed principles and is reasonably exact. The causes and effects have been analyzed until they are well understood. The correct methods of procedure have been proved and established. We know what is most effective, and we act on basic laws. Advertising, once a gamble, has thus become, under able direction, one of the safest of business ventures. Certainly no other enterprise with comparable possibilities need involve so little risk. Therefore, this book deals not with theories and opinions, but with well-proved principles and facts. It is written as a textbook for students and a safe guide for advertisers. Every statement has been weighed. The book is confined to established fundamentals." So, Jay Abraham, let's start by talking about why you 
recommend this book as a must read. Well, Doug, why don't I give you the history of the book and I, and it might, it might um, give a lot of uh, perspective and context and answer your question with a little bit of historic sort of a case study. Okay. Absolutely. So in 1976, I was running Entrepreneur Magazine, and I had come from a, a sort of a, a, a quasi-marketing background, and I thought I knew a lot. And there was a man that we met who at the time was running the most successful direct response agency in its genre. They were helping um, financial newsletters explode. They were helping uh, brokerage fund companies explode. He was very successful. And I wanted to know more about him because I felt like I didn't really know what I was doing. And we were still doing well. And his name was Dan Rosenthal. And I sought him out, found out that he had worked for David Ogilvy. David Ogilvy had disciplined him in the uh, in the very, very, very uh, direct response disciplines. And he had been very successful. And I engaged him to mentor me. We paid him to mentor me. He came out, he spent a day, he came with a bibliography, he came with various exercises I had to do. And the bibliography that he mandated if I was going to work with him was, I had to read in the order that he prescribed. The first book was called Scientific Advertising. And he said that if I read that book, 50 times, not one or not five, 50 <laughs> times, it would transform my understanding of how people's minds thought, how to uh, own mind share ethically, how to really outthink anybody else, how to be monumentally strategic, and how to write copy that would blow past everybody else. So I was intrigued. I got, and this is back before the internet, I was not that successful I spent every dime I had to pay book finders all over the world, all over the world, Doug, to find the books he had recommended. They were scientific advertising, My Life in Advertising, Taken at the Flood, Confessions of an Advertising Man, mm -hmm. David Ogilvy's first book, a uh, uh, book by a guy named George Hotchkiss, look him up, uh, John Caples, and a couple more. I got the books. I sat down, I read scientific advertising. It was very interesting at first. Second read was very boring. Third read was more intriguing. By the time I got to about the 20th, I was starting to th seemingly understand, but he told me to stop at that point and then read my life in advertising because that was the autobiography Claude Hopkins wrote. And he explained in detail the real world experiences and adventures that he encountered to cause him to formulate these disciplines, these principles, these, you know, these uh, concepts. And then just to add a little bit complexity to you, he forced me to read Taken at the Flood, Taken at the Flood, excuse me, which was the story of Albert Lasker. So you were able to see in context what really happened from another vantage point because Claude Hopkins worked for him. So those three integrative books gave me, and they're also the Lasker story, which is a sort of a distillation of it, gave me a keen understanding. So 
I basically read scientific advertising the 50 times. I read my life in advertising, probably 20. I read Taken at the Flood, uh, not as many because it was about 500 pages. And the byproduct, I guess, to, uh, you know, to show you what it produced, my career has transcended a lot of industries, a lot of years, a lot of parts of the globe, but it has, it has uh, resulted in an estimated $100 billion of profit increases being created for some uh, rather rep- you know, well-known people, Tony Robbins, Icy Hot, Entrepreneur Magazine, Planet Fitness, uh, Damon John, uh, co-founder of FedEx, uh, on and on and on and on. And I would attribute probably 90% of my ability to have done that to this little baby uh, 100-page book. Is that a good enough setup? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm learning so much. That's great. I didn't know about Taking It the Flood, which I'm embarrassed to say, but I've read most of the, the others you you mentioned there. That's fantastic. So what would you say are some of the parts of scientific advertising which your clients over the years have, have pushed back against or, or resisted? Well, I think that most people get uh, intellectually the value of testing. They, they, they get it, but they're not very committed to do it. And, and I think when they do it, they get comfortable with a success, a better control. And they don't really understand that it's sort of an infinite process. I think also people like a lot of leads. They don't really analyze that different leads are worth different amounts from different sources. They don't understand that somebody has to take the first um, investment in any relationship. Thus, that's how risk reversal, he didn't call it that, but he was a master at taking the risk away. So it was easier to say yes or no. I learned lifetime value. I learned allowable acquisition cost. I learned risk reserve reversal. I learned testing. I learned the power of headlines. I learned contrast comparability. I learned uh, how to get people a taste without making a huge commitment. Uh, I learned how to uh, how to not put anybody down, but how to elevate your brand massively and your offer massively through comparability. I learned uh, uh, that somebody like Albert, uh, excuse me, like Claude Hopkins would study 1,000 pages of drab material to try to find one paragraph that could be used to literally blow up a client of his. And I became very disciplined, unwilling to take in as much knowledge from as much vantage points as I could. I He uh, was masterful. You may or may not plan on talking to, but one of the most interesting things, he would go door to door and talk to housewives because he spent most of his life on consumer products, things that were sold to uh, consumers, and most of them, the buyers were women, he would go out for days on end and knock on doors and ask women questions. He would go to grocery stores and ask women questions. He would basically try products himself. He would go to the factory. He really got into it. And it was amazing how inventive he was and how uh, and how he was super logical, but inventive at the same time. And I think a lot of 
of innovation, in, not in technological terms, but in other forms of, of breakthroughs and, and nonlinear thinking is really actually super logical. So I don't want to give you too many tangents there, Doug. Not at all. Oh, boy, that we could, we could go for, for quite a while. I did want to ask one thing because I know there are, there are so many um, salespeople <laughs> that listen to this podcast, and I'm always so, so impressed. And there's the, the second chapter, which he titled Just Salesmanship. That was one of my favorites. He, at the end of that chapter, he wrote, this book will contain no more important chapter than this one on salesmanship. And I want to go to the beginning of that chapter where he writes, advertising is salesmanship. Its principles are the principles of salesmanship. Success and failures in both lines are due to like causes. Thus, every advertising question should be answered by the salesman's standards. And he goes on to talk about how he said one of the best things to ask yourself is, would this help a salesman sell the goods? Would it help me sell them if I met the buyer in person. And I was interested to see that I guess even at that time, there was a lot of uh, sort of uh, kind of frivolous advertising or it just wasn't working very hard. I think a lot of that still continues, but I'm thinking that his book may have started to settle down a lot of that. Do you still see a, a lot of advertising that forgets that it's supposed to be selling something? Sure. I mean, uh, but but let me give you a little interesting context because you may have read this, you may not. When you read the Albert Lasker story, you'll uh, really understand this or a little bit before that. So up until about the time that the likes of Lasker and Hopkins came into the advertising world, nobody really understood what made advertising work or not work. And there's a lot of confusion, a lot of hokey uh, really weird little, uh, you know, bromides out there. And between Hopkins and Lasker, they realized that all advertising was, Doug, was salesmanship or saleswomanship multiplied. Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm running an ad or a mailing piece or a commercial, whatever it is, and if there are a million people it is reaching it is reaching a man or a woman, one human being at a time. You are speaking to one human being, one person at a time. And I think that was a big breakthrough that he understood. And, and I think that was profound. I think also you could take his lesson. Any salesperson could buy this book. And I don't know who sells it right now, but it, it's you know, it's tiny. It'll take you an evening to read it about three times. And there are some free ones available on the internet. I'll include some links. Yeah. But the point is you could read this as a salesman or woman, and you could apply the same methodologies he used in salesmanship multiplied and integrate them into salesmanship uh, unmultiplied. Let me give you an example. A very, very bright gentleman who is a good friend of mine, became the number one salesman in the 3,000-person CBS radio network when Howard Stern was on CBS. And he he did it by reading my book and then reading Claude Hopkins' books and then adapting it. For example, everybody in radio would, would ask people to commit to a flight. My guys concentrated on high ticket direct response advertisers 
and he would offer to buy them a week of advertising. And the only stipulation was that if it made money, continue. And he had a very calculated understanding. He would basically take the risk away. He would package other things together. He would do all the cool things that are in that book for advertising. So it, it's a dual, it's a dual, um, it's a dual uh, a valve. If, if a salesperson would buy that book or get it free and read it a bunch of times, he talked about samplings. He talked about yes. testing. I mean, we have tested, just to show you the lateral application, we have tested in a large uh, furniture chain, Doug, in, in my earlier days, 33 different ways of greeting somebody at the front door when they oh. came in as a respondent to an ad. And we found one way that tripled conversion. So the point I'm making is it's 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 the same thing. Whether you use it as a, if you go, well, it won't work for me because it's an advertising book. It is not an advertising <laughs> book. It is a book about salesmanship, depending on how you want to apply it. One-on-one, in mass, in a in a webinar, on the on Facebook, uh, you know, in a newspaper, email it marketing. Doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Subject line change. It's all the same. And I just I can't resist as we talk about selling in the beginning of chapter three, which is on offer service, which is just timeless. He says, remember that the people you address are selfish, as we all are. They care nothing about your interest or your profit. They seek service for themselves. Ignoring this fact is a common mistake and a costly mistake in advertising. Ads say, in effect, buy my brand. Give me the trade you give to others. Let me have the money. That is not a popular appeal. And I see it being broken to this day, every day. He writes that uh, the good salesman does not merely cry a name. He doesn't say, buy my article. He pictures the customer's side of his service until the natural result is to buy. (laughs) One of the things I uh, came to mind for me is that people can use this book. Like, let's say somebody's in the agency world or you're the creative department at a firm, and somebody's pushing back on your approach or the copy or whatever, include the, a relevant quote from this book that would support it, and then reveal that it was written 100 years ago and it still works. I often wondered if that would have helped in selling creative uh, copy to, to clients who were, who were thinking that, no, that's not the way I respond. But If I can make a couple of... of um not interventional comments, but fascinating epilogues. So I learned from that book the key pow- the, the power phrase that was the wonder drug to me of all marketing, and it's called reason why. People need to know, it, it, not implicitly, but explicitly, what's the reason why I should pay attention? What's the reason why your your proposition is more valuable. What's the reason why I shouldn't worry about saying yes? What's the reason why you really have my best interest at heart? What's the reason why I should believe that? And when you understand that everything in, in marketing has to do with the reason why, and if you don't really address it because people are selfish, people, this is interesting, this is a quote. I can't remember if it was his or someone else's. I've had so many people influence me in my career, Doug. But the, the, the quote is that 
People are silently begging to be led. That is an absolute, but there is a caveat, the however factor, and it's however they only want to be led by someone they feel with total certainty has their best interest ahead of that person owns own. And, and if you understand some of these things, and there's also, and it's not in, in um, Claude Hopkins language, but there's what's called the so what factor. Mm-hmm. It's like you said, I mean, if you go, well, so what? I mean, so what? It doesn't really. Say finally, it five times and you start yeah. to get better copy. Yeah, it's really hilarious. But also, uh, and this is really interesting about about uh, Hopkins, and I just lost my train of thought, so I'm going to come back for just one second because I'm a poster boy for adult attention deficit. But you I know, thought we had a lot in common. <laughs> yeah, it's good. But, but you're, you're with friends, Jay. <laughs> thank you. He was one of the best uh, elegant storytellers. And he basically recognized that value, the old trite adage, value truly is in the eyes of the beholder. And he said something like the words uh, service quality, uh, dependability, don't need squat. They're just platitudes. And if I can remember, I haven't read it for a couple of months again, but he said something like platitudes, uh, you know, uh, fall off the, you know, they, they, they are discounted the way water falls off the back of a duck. Jay, it's like you're here in the room. I had it open to that very page. Let me read it. It's, it's the chapter seven on being specific. And he said, platitudes and generalities roll off the human understanding like water from a duck. And it was, I thought it was one of the most interesting stories because I still see so much of this. And the big challenge is companies aren't specific enough when they're selling, and if they can be more specific, it is dramatically more effective. Well, I mean, it's it's it comes to really understanding, Doug, what really makes me believe in you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And words, you know, I mean, it's interesting. Uh, we went online. I, I, I sell a very, very expensive service. It's six figures to get started. It's profit sharing. I have a, an enormous number of success stories that almost sound unimaginably uh, hard to fathom to be true. And we went on chat uh, GPT-4, and we did 73 really different prompts about me and about what I do and about what people need to focus on differently if they run a business. And uh, they're really interesting, the, the specifics that came out. And I'm just telling them, I'm giving you a profoundly complex story. But we just did a webinar experiment. We took some of the bullets that came out of this analysis that were all very specific, very elegantly, non-hyperbole, very, very, very straightforward. And we used it to experiment with a webinar and we got a finite number of people to uh, register. Uh, it was just on, you know, actually it was about 1,300. But we got 45% to show up and stay, which is about three times what you're getting today normally. And that's because it was specific. It made analogies. It, it cross-compared. And the point is not me. It's that the power of doing something like that can be three times. I learned about all the different factors in a marketing advertising approach that could be levered up change the price you change the results you change the headline you change the results 
You change the positioning, you change the results. You change the risk reversal, you change the results. You change the bonus, you change the result. You change the way you you uh, the the uh, uh, not the not the context, but the semantics. You change the results, and when that I just gave you five six changes, but they're not one aggregate. Each one is separate, so it combines, it compounds. Fabulous! It's remarkable, and he in, in this chapter he talks about how. <laughs> It's like say, shaving soaps. It's funny. It's fun to read because some of the language has changed. But shaving soaps have long been advertised. Abundant lather does not dry on the face. Acts quickly, etc. One advertiser had as good a chance as another to impress those claims. Then a new maker came into the field. It was a tremendously diff- difficult field for every customer had to be taken from someone else. He stated specific facts. He said multiplies itself in lather. 250 times, softens the beard in one minute, maintains its creamy fullness for 10 minutes on the face. The final result of testing and comparing 130 formulas, perhaps never in advertising has there been a quicker and greater success in an equally difficult field. So let me make a point. He also, because you're probably going to do it, but in case we run out of time, he was the progenitor of preemptive advertising. Preemptive advertising is just what you said. What he read makes you immediately and compellingly want that product because it represents something superior. What he writes about in that same book is that that may be that every product has the same attributes, but nobody measures and shares it. Whoever does that gains first advantage and a preemptive advantage. Yes. And just to to put a pen in it, he, he has the example of a a beer manufacturer. and That was his, yeah. Yeah, where, where he said everyone was doing the same thing. And uh, he talks about how um, they were all advertised as pure and the, it, it, it meant nothing. And the bigger the type used, the bigger the folly. Of course, this was all back, I think, even before radio was really taken off. After millions had been in spent to impress a platitude, one brewer pictured a plate glass room where beer was cooled in filtered air. He pictured a filter of white wood pulp through which every drop was cleared. He told how bottles were washed four times by machinery, how he went down 4,000 feet for pure water, how 1,018 experiments had been made to attain a yeast to give beer that matchless flavor, and how all the yeast was forever made from that adopted mother cell. He goes on to write, all the claims were such as any brewer might have made. They were mere essentials in ordinary brewing, but he was the first to tell the people about them, while others cried merely, pure beer. He made the greatest success that was ever made in beer advertising. Well, Jay, was there anything else that you'd really like folks to know about uh, scientific advertising before we talk about your latest book? Well, sure. I think that anybody could get their hands on it. It gives you, and and I think the best thing about it, he was no nonsense. He wrote books the way he wrote ads. They're very sinewy. They're very elegant, not elegant in sophistication, but elegant in simplicity Mm -hmm. and directness. I mean, there's no confusion whatsoever in how he writes. You don't have to go, well, what's he saying? What's it mean? He was somebody who gave birth to more breakthroughs that have enduring uh, and and probably will continue. He understood that literally human nature is, you know, from the time man came 
our woman came onto this earth, whether you believe in Darwinism or you believe in, you know, in Adam and Eve or whomever, to the time that we're not here, no matter what you believe, human nature is pretty much the same. If you understand it better than anyone else and you care about them, he really cared about the people he served. He tried to project them using the products and saw the enhancement his products, because he would really appreciate his clients, were having the the impact they were having in people's lives, not just a transactional, like you're going to buy this this soap. He got the vision of the man having the cleanest shave and that shave lasting all day and no stubbles. and, And he was able to really understand and instill or or in project himself into the whole process and experience almost vicariously his successful client's product or service deployed in somebody's life. And I just think it was really quite profound. Well, let me just put another pin in that. Uh, on the, the chapter on psychology, it, it echoes what you just mentioned. He wrote, the competent advertising man must understand psychology. The more he knows about it, the better. He must learn that certain effects lead to certain reactions and use that knowledge to increase results and avoid mistakes. Human nature is perpetual. In most respects, it is the same today as in the time of Caesar. So the principles of psychology are fixed and enduring. You will never need to unlearn what you learn about them. So... Jay, in remaining time, tell us about your latest book, uh, Business Wealth Without Risk, How to Create a Lifetime of Income and Wealth Every Three to Five Years, which you co-authored with Roland Frazier. I will, Doug. And and, uh, I'll give you the back. I like to tell the basis behind something, the reason why, perhaps, if I may introduce the comment we made earlier. So I've got 14 or so books I have authored. Some we don't even sell. We just use them internally for clients. But I've spent my life growing people's businesses of all kinds, sizes, types, uh, all around the world, all scopes. And I've been very successful. And I've been compensated uh, enormously well on fee and profit sharing. But I've never taken equities in business. And uh, I'll give you an example, a client that I helped uh, two years ago that was generating an income of 800 grand is selling his business that we grew uh, many, many times over in two years for 150 million. And I got a, a profit share, but I didn't get any of the upside. And so I met a gentleman named Roland Frazier, who's very smart, former attorney, and he's a very astute marketer. He and his uh, his colleagues have uh, you know created some very prominent entities in the marketing world. And he has switched his whole focus. He basically teaches people how to get control of businesses that they can bait that are underperforming, how to do it safely. I'm going to give you two analogies in a minute, how to then blow up the earnings so that you can sell it very quickly as a much more profitable asset for multiples and multiples and multiples of what you paid a year or two or three ago and then do it over and over again. But there's two premises of this book. And by the way, it's 447 pages. It's three parts. Uh, it's, it's got a five page forward by Tony Robbins. It's got a three page intro by Damon John. 
It's got a uh, a three-page preface by Gino Wickman, who did, uh, he wrote uh, Traction, mm-hmm. and he started, and EOS. So that's the basis. So here's the, th- two, the two different paths. It says, if you're, tr- if you're contemplating starting a business for scratch, from scratch, don't. And the reason it says that is that only one in 20 businesses make it in year one, only one in 10 make it the first five years. He said, why do that when you can get control of any of millions of businesses out there, many run by baby boomers like me, who literally don't have a lot of options. They're businesses that other people wouldn't necessarily want to buy unless they understood this philosophy. He has 220 ways to fund it. Uh, only a few are letting the owner carry, meaning uh, making the owner let you pay them. The rest are just figuring out who else has more to gain or put the money up with you having no liability other than the business. He's saying, uh, use Jay Abraham's 97 different categories of blowing up EBITDA profit. And when you do that, all of a sudden, you've got a business you acquire for almost nothing out of pocket. It's only worth a little. You blow it up so it's worth 10 or so times more. You sell it, and then you do it again and again. You sort of rinse and repeat, but you do it at larger and larger stages. The other premise, and the premise that got me hooked, which is why we did this together, and by the way, we talk about achieving what's called uh, epic exits for mammoth paydays. Epic exits for mammoth paydays. And, and what got me hooked was, why just try to grow your own company with normal marketing, good marketing, great marketing, and uh, and sales and advertising when concurrently you can acquire businesses that sell competitive products or sell products or services people buy before, during, after, or instead, and add all that additional revenue to your current uh, your current model and double, redouble, redouble again the 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 profit first and the revenue second. He also says why literally he talk about uh, and it's together. It's a unified uh, thesis. I've got the middle of it, which is it doesn't acknowledge me, but it's all about how to how to dramatically blow up the profit uh, performance. He knows how to find the businesses, how to fund the businesses, and how to negotiate a monster exit. I know how to get, once you got the business, you got to know what to do with it. Because if you don't, then it's not going to pay off for you. But uh, if you have a, your own business, you can compete against yourself. Give you an example. If I was selling a supplement for weight loss and you were buying it, <clears throat> I've got a sunk cost in finding you f- uh, for myself. Most people that do subscription type supplements last about three or four months and then they quit. The, the pre-assumption is you're, you're changing your diet, you're exercising more, you probably aren't. Also, you're probably going to concurrently be using other weight loss, maybe equipment, maybe portion control food, maybe a trainer or a virtual trainer. So if I had all those other services, I could offer them to you when you're still with me. I can offer them to you when you leave. And I could double, redouble, redouble again my profitability. It also talks about getting control of access vehicles. You and I were talking about podcast. If I owned your podcast and you have in your 
in your listener group, let's say a thousand people who run businesses that are large enough to be seven figure clients, six figure retainer and upside, uh, I might be able by buying your business for a modest amount and maybe even paying you on results or paying you later to create hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue for myself. So he's talking about buying, uh, or we talk about access vehicles. It could be podcasts, it can be discussion groups, they can be platforms, advertising, any kind of a any kind of a vehicle, whether it's a profit vehicle or not, that reaches your your target audience with a very high level of trust and credibility. It's a really interesting book. There's nothing I think of out there like it. And as I said, it was good enough that Tony wrote five amazing pages to really motivate you to want to really consider doing this. And it's a far more lucrative alternative because most people, even most small business owners, if they don't have a mechanism to get out and they don't have a mechanism to get out of the business, not just sell it, but get out of the day-to-day, all they've acquired is hopefully a decent, maybe a high-paying job. And at the end, they may have very little to show for it. But he has a strategy that I have embraced and we have integrated together in a unified book where you can create what you'd normally make in your lifetime in three years. Then you could do it again at a higher level. And then you do it again at a higher level. And he shows the math and we've got charts and we show you that why would you possibly do it the hard way that has nothing but risk and danger when if you get control of businesses that have already made it through the first year and the five years and they're profitable, they're just not anywhere close to being uh, to being maximized. And if you know how to do it and they don't, or if you get control of a couple of businesses that will complement each other, one will feed the next and the next, you can create massive, if not wealth, because wealth is a, is a, um, it's a subjective word that your definition and mine may be very much off. But the one thing is certain, it's got much higher success probability than almost any other way you have to both create far above uh, your current level income and monstrously far above your current probability for wealth creation or assets or prosperity or economic lifetime security. So that's the concept. Jay, I don't know that I can afford not to read it. I knew when the book came out. I didn't know that it was a fit for the show, but I definitely think I should read that, particularly for some yeah, some of the things we, we talked about here. I mean, I don't know that I'll be able to keep doing this podcast forever, but it would be nice to see it uh, continue on. So now, now you've given me even more to think about. Yeah, and there's another. You might use its qualitative reach without ever breaching the integrity to partner with other people that have back ends that are ethical, but will serve your audience, but that you could get ownership of either partial. And I don't know what uh, the, the podcast uh, is. It serves you besides uh, being a great service to people. But if you ethically could align it with something else, it might generate tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. So well, it's just a way of thinking differently, Doug. Well, I appreciate you sharing more about the book there. I should mention that uh, I met you through Philip Stutz. Uh, you wrote the uh, forward to his book, uh, Fire Them Now. And also recently I interviewed Brian Kurtz. 
And you wrote the foreword to his book, uh, Over Deliver, and that episode will be coming up soon. So listeners have been hearing a lot about Jay Abraham. It's great to ah, have you. Thank you. On the show. So, well, Jay, at uh, Marketing Book Podcast, we're going to include links to everything linkable for this episode, all the books that you've mentioned, your your website, uh, your new book. And uh, there's also a Jay Abraham documentary that I'm going to include on that page, which I, I really enjoyed watching. And all of you listeners out there, uh, if you're listening on your smartphone, you subscribe to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app, like Apple Podcasts. All these links can be found by going to this episode right now and clicking on this episode's website link. The book is Scientific Advertising. The author is Claude Hopkins. Jay, thank you very much for returning to the Marketing Book Podcast, and Happy New Year. <laughs> thank you, Doug, and I enjoy it. You have a very animated spirit. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Elvis has left the building. <laughs> That's funny. I like that. That's great. That's a great conclusion. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. To make sure you never miss an episode, you have a few options. The best way is subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app like Apple Podcasts or go to marketingbookpodcast.com and sign up for email notifications or on LinkedIn, find the Marketing Book Podcast page and click the subscribe button and maybe meet some of your fellow listeners. If you are among the many listeners who have left a review on Apple Podcasts or have promoted the show to others, please let me return your kind favor by mailing you some Marketing Book Podcast bookmarks and stickers. Just send me your mailing address anywhere in the world, and I'll drop it in the mail. And remember the words of the entrepreneur, author, and motivational speaker Jim Rohn, who said, Formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune.